Hey guys, this is Sean Kanan, and you are listening to the Ben Is Now podcast. Rise and shine, my sinners. When Father Evil starts his day, he gets a little deadly. Deadly Grounds Coffee has the richest, smoothest flavor you'll find anywhere. It's sinfully delicious. Once you go deadly, you never go back. Order yours at getdeadly.com. Coffee's so good, it's scary. Today's episode contains spoilers. So if you have not seen the movie or TV show that we are talking about, we highly recommend that you watch it first, then listen to this episode. Thank you. Welcome to 13 Days of Halloween. <laughs> Hello and welcome to this special episode of That Is Now Podcast. I am your host, Rigor. Today I am joined by first-time guest co-host, Mark Bailey, who is an amateur animator, filmmaker, hobbyist, and monster movie-slash-bad-film historian. He's been a long-time attendee of sci-fi, comic, and horror conventions. His two lectures, Giant Monsters Attack New York City, A History, and Bad Film A Go-Go, have been successfully presented at EternalCon, Fanfare New York City, BorrowCon, WinterCon, G-Fest, and Icon. He lives in West Orange, New Jersey with his lovely and brilliant wife, Kara, and awesome cats, Els, Griffin, Roxy, and Cricket. Welcome to the show, Mark. Thank you so much. It's uh, great to be here. Uh, um, how's everything with you? Good, good. Things are good. Things are ramping up. You know, uh, I guess at this point when this airs, everyone knows we uh, we just started up a Patreon page and a Tee Public page and stuff, so... Um, looking forward to seeing what happens for, for the Did show. You, what are you raising? Okay. <laughs> yeah, we got yeah, yeah, yeah. bills to pay here. Right. Um, <laughs> plus, we're expanding. We're doing a special show on Patreon uh, that you can only get on Patreon. We're also doing a video series that's coming up, and uh, we got a right. lot of fun stuff going on. So, well, good. I, I hope to uh, I hope to expand your offerings and help you raise a little bit of money. Oh, thank you, thank you. Yes, I saw that. My pleasure. So before we begin, you've got this uh, kick-ass website that's a labor of love for you. Could you tell our listeners about it? Uh, New York City Giant Monster Attack Map, nycgmam.com. There's an old software called Flash, and within Flash, I was able to make an, an animated web content, inter- interactive web content. And having worked in and around New York City for years and watching a lot of monster movies, I started to... You'd be walking around and wondering, is this where Godzilla blew up the United Nations? Is this where the deadly man has got stuck in a, in a tunnel between New York and New Jersey? Is this where you know King Kong you know, met his demise at the base of the Empire State Building? And um, you know, I, I knew that when they when they make movies, you know, these are all Hollywood sound sound stages, or they were in a you know, or in a soundstage in, in Tokyo. And so I, they had to take certain liberties 
to make the film good and make it successful and they couldn't exactly shoot in New York and they had to pretty it up and move streets around to do all that kind of stuff. So I said, oh, well, self, wouldn't it be cool to have an interactive map? Uh, one time I saw Turner Classic Movies with a tour bus with King Kong on the side of it. And when I was in Chicago, I went on a gangster's tour. These two guys dressed up like gangsters would drive around and tell you where you know the Valentine's Day Massacre was and all the great hits around Chicago. And I'm like, yeah, but what if there was a, you know, a map for uh, giant monster movies in, in New York City? And outside of Tokyo and maybe a couple of other select cities, New York City gets destroyed a lot. <laughs> it gets destroyed a lot. It's iconic. It's a lot of play. It's a it's a it's a place that a lot of people want to be. It's a lot of it's a place where a lot of people want to visit. So you, they set a lot of monster movies, and they set a lot of destruction films. Of you know, it's been nuked. It's been hit by you know, uh, walls of water, uh, <laughs> meteors, all of that. So I decided to make um, an interactive. Uh, map and so far I still haven't found I still have not exhausted the list of the number of times that New York has been destroyed in movies television and a couple of comic books wow so the 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 backbone was Adobe Flash and that doesn't work anymore um, you can still do things with it but you can't upload the content modern web browsers do not recognize that content so I had to find another way to go around and do it and it's now finally um, friend, web friendly, like you can look at it on your cell phone, you can look at it on your tablet or obviously your, uh, your PC or a laptop. It's just a bit of a beast to load. It takes about a minute. You'll get a little scrolling, a little buffering icon and it finally loads. So, and that has been my, um, yes, my labor of love. I've been dealing with that since 2017. All of my cartoon, wow. all of my cartoons have gone the way of the dinosaur. I once, I just finished school and I'm looking for work. And once I have more time, I'm going to go back and take all my cartoons and make them forward compatible that people can actually see them. I'll, I'll probably just start a YouTube page and have uh, nice. and offer my cartoons that way. So, what's what's replacing Flash? I mean, I know every time I reboot my computer, it tells me, "Hey, Flash is going away." You know, um, it's called Adobe Animate. It's essentially oh, okay. it's essentially the same piece of software, but how you export the the finished file that you would upload to the internet is a vastly different creature than what it was a few years ago. The internet okay. doesn't the internet is not recognizing this old output. That's all. Right. It's just it, it, that's why when you look at old flash sites, it doesn't even it doesn't even have a, a, a placeholder. It just doesn't even show the, that there was content there. It's removed. So, oh, okay. You know, it is what it is, and it, it's it just you have to be creative and find ways to get your work out there. I bet I haven't made any cartoons in a while. I recently graduated school, so I took a break from it. But at its height, I was making one cartoon a year since two thousand three. I won a little award at G Fest for one of them. Most of my cartoons are pretty weird, and making being a short filmmaker on your own is incredibly exhaustive. It's just, it's hard. And by the time you're done with this cartoon, you hate it. You're so bored with it. it <laughs> you're just like, this is dumb. I want it over with, but you have to see your projects <laughs> through or else you'll have nothing but a hard drive full of unfinished work. And right, and right. That's, that's no good either. So I'm certain yeah. you have similar stories of being up at two o'clock in the morning, trying to get a podcast out. 
Well, well, that and you know, I did work with Flash a couple decades ago yeah. when I had uh, my website horrorhaven.com, and I was trying to make a TV player that you could like click on the knobs and it would change yep. the program that you were watching. Yeah. And uh, you know, with everything with the internet, I'm self-taught, and it got to a point where I just couldn't, I couldn't keep investing the time in training myself in that because I had other things that I needed to focus on for the project. So I ended up abandoning it. So I I do have some limited flash uh, skills, but uh, at this point, the novelty (laughs) was just too taxing. Did you just, the point, yeah. Why are you keeping it up? Fine. I, right. Right. Fortunately, the technology behind the New York city giant monster attack map still is largely the same. Some of the coding behind it has changed a little bit, but I also have been keeping my toe in the water all these years that I can just stay on top of it. I'm also looking to get into work, um, you know, doing animated web content and for marketing and what have you. So it's, it's a shame. I would love to work for Spirit Halloween and they are located in Jersey, but in, in the extreme Southern part of the state, oh. like near Philly. And I'm all the way near, near New York city. And I'm like, wow, I would, I think that's just a wonderful, such a wonderful business model that they occupy defunct storefronts, you know, like Toys R Us or what have you, and open up a store for four months. And, you know, it's, it's considering the way the economy is going, I think that's, that's pretty uh, ingenious. And I would love to help their, help their marketing and uh, help their website. Oh yeah. I bet you can do a lot of that remotely anyways. You probably wouldn't have to go there maybe once or twice. Maybe, you know. With, um, yeah. you know, maybe with you as a reference, um, they'll, uh, you know, oh, he said that is now podcast, man. Let him in. <laughs> so, I'll take it. <laughs> Thank you. Rico. You know, I got... Thank you, Rico. Oh, you're you're a gentleman. So. Yes, you're welcome. And I, I got to say that, um, uh, you know, when you sent me the link for your website and I was on it and I was going through it, it's, it's one of those rabbit holes that once you start going down... Three hours will pass by, and then you come back up and go, "Oh my God, I just spent three hours really? looking at all this amazing stuff." Wow, I've just I've made a nostalgia <laughs> hole. Yeah, 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 it's it's really good. I highly recommend that the listeners check it out. Uh, once again, what's the website? NYCGMAM dot com. New York City Giant Monster Attack Map. You truncate that. Awesome. Okay. Awesome. Well, that's great. So let's um, let's get into the movie here. We are continuing our yearly event called 13 Days of Hallowtober. Our theme this year is modern zombie films. And what that means is that we're not going to cover zombie films from before 1968, like White Zombie, Teenage Zombies, you know, any of those Bela Lugosi type movies. No, we are covering the ones that came after and were inspired by George Romero's Night of the Living Dead in 1968. Right. Now, Night of the Living Dead not only set up the rules for Modern Zombies, it had, it's had a lasting effect on horror filmmaking for the last 50 years. So today, we're going to cover the Korean zombie film Rampant from 2018. All right. Class is in session. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Class is in session. <laughs> That's totally fine. Nimdeguni 
조용히 돌아가시죠. 그리하면 내 살려는 뒤를 더해. 이번에도 당신네들 뜻대로 될 거란 착각 마시오. 약지를 막지 못하면 끝장이다. 나를 따를 것인가. 땅에 묻힐 것인가. The Joseon Dynasty, King Li Zhou is viewed as overly deferential to the nearby Xing Dynasty of China. His son, Crown Prince Li Young, plots to buy European arquebuses, which is a form of long gun that appeared in Europe and the Ottoman Empire during the 15th century to drive away the Xing. The plot is exposed by War Minister Kim Jajun, who holds influence over the king and frames it as a rebellion. Kim meets the Europeans and learns that they've brought zombies called night demons. The crown prince commits suicide as penance so that his subordinates will be spared. Joseon forces destroy the European ship and retrieve the arquebuses, but a Joseon soldier is bitten by a zombie. He returns to his village where he turns and spreads the infection. The zombies crave human meat and blood and are attracted by sounds, repelled by sunlight, and are stopped by decapitation or piercing of the heart. The crown prince left a request that his wife, Gyeong Bin, an unborn child, be raised by his younger brother, Li Chung, in China for their safety. Li Chung had previously been left out of Joseon's order of succession and grew up abroad in the prosperous Xing. Li Chung returns with his companion, Hak Su, landing in Jemalpo, but is attacked by Joseon assassins sent by Minister Kim and other ministers who are plotting a coup. The noise of the battle draws an attack by zombified villagers. Lee Chung and Haksu are assisted by local partisans, including Park Yul Ryong, former lieutenant to the Crown Prince, and beautiful archer Diok Hee. The Jamopo partisans ask Lee Chung to become Crown Prince, but he declines, wanting to return to China. Lee Chung awkwardly flirts with Diok Hee. The only survivor of the would-be assassins is captured by Kim because he's infected. The ministers arrange for a concubine to be infected from this captured assassin. She later turns and infects the king. Li Chung arrives at the king's court where he requests an army to crush the zombies in Jamopo. The king initially agrees, but the ministers instigate him to rescind the order, claiming that no, there's no zombie outbreak, only a civil rebellion. The Jamopo partisans are arrested, while Li Chung and Gyeong Bin are ordered to attend a banquet for a visiting Xing delegation. At, at the banquet, the king fully turns into a zombie and is slain by Kim, who unleashes zombies there in an attempt to kill members of the palace and the Xing delegation, then rule with all potential opposition gone. However, Kim himself is bitten by a zombie, leading to the ministers attempting to, in turn, kill him. Kim slays them all chops off his own hand to slow the infection, then declares, then declares himself king. Gyeong Bin convinces Lee Chung not to flee but to protect the people, so Lee Chung and the royal guard free his Jamopo allies from prison. They engage the zombies in combat in an attempt to prevent them from escaping the palace and attacking the capital. Lee Chung and his allies plan to draw the zombies together into a gigantic fiery explosion at the palace. Kim kills Haksu and an infected park, preventing the explosion. Lee Chung continues the same plan, battling a horde of zombies and the half-infected Kim. While doing so, he pours oil on the floor of the palace. Diok Hee fires a flaming arrow into the place, burning it down. Lee Chung retreats to the roof of the palace, 
only to find that Kim has also climbed to the roof. There, they have an epic duel, not only fighting for their lives, but also the entire kingdom. So, Mark, um, you suggested this film. Did. When did you first see it, and what was your first impression? I loved it. I, I really did. I'm looking at the back of the DVD. It's called Game of Thrones meets 28 Days Later. <laughs> it had a, for, for a really uh, incredibly creative uh, modern zombie film, it also has all the political trappings of feudal Korea. It, it's um, all these sub-ministers and the plotting uh, of what it is to take over a kingdom and unwilling heroes and it was cool. I, I was just, I think I saw the trailer for this movie online maybe a decade ago and I knew about uh, like Train to Busan and some other Korean films beforehand and I knew I wanted to watch it. Um, in 2006, I had the, the pleasure of seeing The Host um, in, the, oh, in yes. the theaters. And it was in an art house theater out on Long Island. And it was great. That really just blew me away. And it introduced me to modern Korean cinema. And that, that actor and director and probably a number of other people would go on to win an Academy Award or, or awards with uh, Parasite. So less. Oh, yeah. These guys really know their stuff. They make very good movies. Um, they, oh, yeah. They, yeah. They're very good writers. They're, they hire very capable actors. All the actors are incredibly good looking. You're, they're just really nice to look at. And, you, and being talented actors, you sympathize with them. You, you, you follow along that, you know, uh, with the, the journey of their storytelling. Oh, absolutely. And then finally, finally I, uh, I knew about their, their other zombie films. And I saw that this one was set in feudal Korea. I was also a fan of a movie called uh, War of the Arrows. Okay. It's set in feudal Korea, and I think northern Korea was invaded by kingdoms from China, and this guy has to fight to get back his sister and brother-in-law, and it's um, it, it's largely based on archery, but it's just an incredibly good martial arts film. Yeah. And knowing that they could make good you know, movies with swashbuckling films with bows and arrows and swords, and now they're throwing zombies into it. I'm like, well, I think this is certainly <laughs> worth a watch. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you suggested this because I just watched it the other day, and I had actually never heard of it. Although I did see the host, uh, I didn't see that in the theater, but I did see, um, I did catch that when it first came out. But um, yeah, I, I figured I have to say I was blown away yeah. by it. I mean, I, I love first of all, I love watching a film. Walking into it with no preconceived notions. I, I literally had no idea. I didn't even look at the trailers, so I didn't even know it took place in feudal, um, feudal Korea. I just knew it was a zombie film, and I, I had to see it. So um, I love the concept. I like the fact that it was set in the 1600s. Yeah. I love how it, it looks visually. It's, you know, the stunning cinematography. Uh, and like you said, you know, the cast was great. Um, the characters were engaging. It, it had me right from the beginning. Yeah. And what I liked was that it was different and refreshing from most zombie films that are set in contemporary times. I have to say, I, you know, I, I kind of did have a slight expectation walking in only because my other show, uh, The East Meets the West, we talk about Shaw Brothers films. Yeah. And so I was kind of expecting a little bit more wire work and acrobatics. And we didn't get that here, but it didn't matter. It didn't take away from the film at all. It, it just, everything they did, I thought, worked perfectly. Yeah, and after um, 10 plus years of The Walking Dead, you just come to expect 
how shambling zombies are going to react. And here they took it in a different direction. They did. They they said, you know, these things don't come out uh, during the day. They can be stabbed in the heart and die. You know, they they had a certain take on this on this uh, iteration of what zombies are. Um, right. And it in their other zombie films, it, that was not necessarily the case. You know, uh, Train to Busan, they did have zombies out during the day. And it's just, I, I thought it was kind of neat that they were willing to bend the genre a little bit for the sake of, um, you know, of storytelling. And that was cool. I, yeah. I, I thought it was it, it kind of brave of them. And yeah, yeah, so. I, I think I might have mentioned this on one of the other 13 day specials that we did, that we're doing this year, but um. The, th the thing about the zo modern zombie films, too, is we're seeing in the last few decades a similar thing that happened to uh, the spaghetti westerns back in the early to mid-70s is what was referred to as the deconstruction of the genre because basically you, you can't keep retelling the same story over and over again. You sure. know, Walking Dead is kind of like, it's, it might as well be a continuation of Night, Night of the Living Dead. Yeah. Which is fine. It works, and it it's very well done. And it's more, you know, sometimes the humans actually are more uh, scary than the than the zombies. But um, when you see things like Shaun of the Dead and Army of the Dead and this movie Rampant, um, they're taking the zombie genre and saying, okay, how can we do this differently? How can we still make them scary zombies, but do it, you know, deconstruct the genre, so to speak? And I think this movie really succeeds. I mean, they don't even call them zombies; they call them night demons. Yeah. They, their teeth become suddenly sharp for some and reason. These milky, <laughs> their eyes get milky. Yeah, it's just creepy. I just I wa I finished watching it like three hours ago, and I was in bed with my cat and the DVD player, <laughs> and you just see these blood slathered creatures look up from a carcass that they're gnawing on, and they're just really really good actors know how to act like they're all freaked out and diseased, and they're shambling about, and it's just it was just creepy. <laughs> So, and you know, not all of them, but some of them do that weird body twisting thing that you see in a lot of Japanese horror films yeah. where yeah. they just contort themselves in these unnatural ways. They, and that in and of itself is kind of freaky. They jerk, right? Like they're, um, they just kind of flail about a little bit and, uh, it's incredibly unnatural. It looks like they're, they're like dying and being born at the same time, it, but it's, it's in, incredibly un, unnatural and unholy. It's good. Oh. Yeah. But don't touch me. <laughs> So let's talk a little bit about the cast and the crew. Please. We've got the the director is Sung Hoon Kim. Um, he directed a film called Gonjo, uh, also known as Confidential Assignment, that also stars Hyun Bin, um, who is the star of this film, Rampant. And he did another film called My Little Hero. Um, I haven't actually heard of either of those films. Have you seen them? I have not. I, I honestly, okay. it's um, where I'm from. In uh in North Jersey, we have a store called uh, Big Lots, and they sell clothes yep. out yeah, of a lot of items. And they usually have a Titanic DVD rack. Very few places sell DVDs, and I found this DVD. I I buy a lot of my Korean films there, and I got this thing for like three bucks. So nice. I just happened to have known this title for years, and it was on my to do list. So that's where I picked it up from. Um. I have a number of other Korean movies, but I am not familiar with this director's work. That's that's on me, and so I'll I'll fix that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so too. Uh, uh, same here. And you know, I will let the listeners know too. A lot of these, um, the writers, director, and actors, we don't really 
know the films that they've been in, and I'm sure the listeners at home probably don't know. So we're just going to introduce you to them and talk about them a little bit here. Okay. And maybe you, you, the listener, can go out and explore it on your own. Now, I did notice something. I don't know if you noticed this, uh, Mark. On IMDb, when you look at the credits for writers, there's three of them. Right. Now, I'm going to say the third guy first, just because the, I, there's an issue with the first two. Um, Shin Yon Won. Again, I don't know his films, but he did direct a film called Seven Days, which starred Yun Jin Kim. And when I saw her, I'm like, How, why do I know her? And I realized she played Sun on the TV show Lost. Okay. I think he wrote that, but he directed a film in 2019 called The Battle, Roar to Victory, which was the true story of the Korean battle for independence against the imperialist Japanese forces in Manchuria, China. Yeah. So... You know, this guy knows his way around period pieces, whether he's writing or directing, and he must obviously be an aficionado of of that period of Korean history. And then now, did you notice that the other two writers, they're the same guy, just backwards? It's Jo Yun Hwang and then Hwang Jo Yun. (laughs) I did not. (laughs) (laughs) And he's got two listings. One of them only has three writing credits, and the other one has nine of them. And the only one that crosses over on both is Rampant. So I have no idea what's up with that. Wow. Well, it's it's Korean. It's it's a translation. You know who knows? <laughs> it's I don't. I couldn't explain that for the life of me. So Joseph I mean, maybe his, he created an account, lost his password, and created another one. I have to know that somebody might have been populating that content. I know certain languages go forwards and backwards c- compared to English. Right. I honestly don't know. It's it's obviously it happens. So um, it's probably right. the one, it's probably the one person. So yeah. maybe this podcast will will get them on their game and have them fix it. Yeah, so, there we go. <laughs> you listening, Korea? So let's say what? Said, are you listening, South Korea? Got to yeah. Your IMDb. <laughs> Actually, I have to check. I think we do have listeners in uh, Korea. Yeah. So uh, let's get into the cast here. We've got Hyun Bin, who played Lee Chung, who is the current heir to the Joseon throne, who's arrogant and only wants to marry a girl to accompany to China. I thought he did a great job here. I mean, his character starts off as this entitled royal jerk. He doesn't really want to get involved. He's got no interest in the throne. And then ultimately, he becomes fashioned into a hero. And I thought that was a great character arc for him. Yeah, absolutely. He was, um, I found a little, you know, Han Solo turning into Luke Skywalker. A, a bit, a bit of both. And uh, I loved his sword. He had this sword that was, yes. it, it was like a broomstick with a blade. It was just, it was huge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was, and he would, you know, these guys are all, you know, they come from a country of brilliant martial artists and the special effects work was just phenomenal. Yeah. It was just, he was just a very, very talented actor. Neat guy. He had his, his partner, uh, forgive me, I'll stop if you want to talk about, he had a sidekick. Yes. So if you wanted to talk about him, that guy was really neat, too. Yep. Let me just... Uh, oh, yeah. Haksu. Yep. Yeah. He was played by Jiang Man-sik, and um, he was, of course, the quirky bodyguard. He was he was great, I thought, as the comic relief. He was a little stereotypically cowardly, but he never let that prevent him from taking care of Lee Chung. You know, often, he would stay Lee's hand to prevent needless yeah, combat. I from, really liked that. He stopped him from pulling out a blade. And, uh, yeah. On that, a couple times. On that war minister... Which would have yeah you know, gone horribly. Um, yeah, and he was very very comedic, and he was very self centered. But when it came to protecting his prince, he was you know very very uh, on the job. So he, you know what he reminded me of? He reminded me of Mister French from Family Affair. Yeah. He was this butler that was more than a butler, yeah. you know? Yeah, you you would take that. You would take um, 
Mr. French, you know, boating for some reason, or you would take Mr. French to France. Right. <laughs> or, <laughs> or you would take Mr. French to, you know, to to your cooking class, depending on what the writers need. So, right. And he'll stop you from, from slicing someone up with a, with a butcher knife. I, you know? Now put that down. So... Now we've got Jang, Jang Dong Gun, who played Kim Ja Joon, the corrupt minister of war. He was in two record-breaking box office hits in Korea: movie called Friend, Friend in two thousand one, and Tai Gak Gi, The Brotherhood of War in two thousand four. And he was good. I for some reason I kept thinking he looked like the guy that was in Army of the Dead, um, whose name escapes me at the moment, but. I, I felt like I had seen him before, but I guess I haven't because I, when I looked at his list of films, I hadn't yeah. seen any of them. But he was really good too. He just had those eyes; like he worked his eyes really well. Yeah, it, it takes a great actor to be that, that unlikable. Uh, and, yeah, and not really ape up, ape the camera, or ham it up too much. I mean, the guy was a very capable actor. Forgive me if yeah. I'm repeating myself, but um, and then when he slowly became like quasi-zombie, quasi-human, um, and that was fascinating. That was that was kind of a, a neat plot twist that he, he did get, he was infected and he cut off his own hand, but you could see the infection starting to take over his body, but he could still walk around the demons and not, you know, without being infected. It kind of reminded me a little bit of um, the whispers on uh, The Walking Dead, so... Yeah, yeah, um, he's definitely. It seemed like he was morphing into something different, something a little bit more. Yeah, and then there was a scene where he, you know, this guy he had to cut up his own hand, and he finds the um, the king's robe. He finds this very elegant red robe, which is a high high status. So you get to see this man who's just covered in blood and infections and one hand, and he's walking around with this elegant robe on, and he was quite, and his hair was. His hair was finally a mess, and the man loved yeah. all of his composure. And he was just this this new zombie king, which he was, I guess, he was going for. It was cool. Yeah, it was just a absolutely brilliant villain. Oh yeah! Like, wow, that's yeah. that's new. So yeah. <laughs> Hi, this is Rigor, host of Then Is Now podcast and The East Meets the West. I just wanted to say thank you to all of our Patreon subscribers. We appreciate your support as we grow the audience for our shows. You can find our links to our Patreon page as well as our Tee Public page at havenpodcasts.com. With Patreon, you'll get a lot of exclusive stuff, including our monthly pop culture newsletter, cool gifts, discounts for Tee Public, and our special exclusive show, Then Is Now Filmmakers Series, in which we interview directors, producers, writers, composers, special effects guys, basically anybody who works behind the scenes in film and television, and get their insights into the process of creating films and TV shows. Also at our Tee Public page, you'll find cool merch that you can get or even give to others as gifts. You can find those links at our website, or you can go directly to tpublic.com slash stores slash Haven Podcasts and patreon.com slash then is now podcast. Enjoy. Are you a lifelong fan of General Hospital? Are you a new fan who wants to know more about the history of the show? Do you enjoy talking about the show with others? Do you find yourself yelling at the TV? Is your self-care an hour a day in Port Charles? If so, we invite you to join hosts Amanda Kimmel and Shannon Coach at the place where all the hidden conversations take place and secrets are revealed. Meet us at Pier 54, a General Hospital fan podcast. Hello, this is Rod Barnett. 
I'm the host of The Bloody Pit, the podcast that examines films from across the decades. On The Bloody Pit, we have several ongoing series of shows within the show focused on specific things in genre cinema that I and my co-hosts find fascinating. There's a long-running series focused on Italian maestro Antonio Margheriti's films from the 1960s all the way up through 1990. There's an on-again, off-again series focused on 1970s science fiction films. There's an in-depth look at the Western movies that William Castle made before he struck out on his own and became the horror auteur that we know and love. A look at the classic Coffin Joe films from Brazil. And our long-term project to look at every universal horror film made in the 1940s. That's a long project, people. It's going to take us a long time. Sprinkled in amongst those are various other episodes focused on other stranger areas of cinema, like uh, Lucio Fulci, Dario Argento, and even some obscure British crime films from time to time. So join me and my rotating crew of co-hosts as we examine the stranger side of cinema through an exploitation lens. Except when we don't? Yeah, you never really know exactly what to expect on The Bloody Pit. So join me for The Bloody Pit. And speaking of the king, Kim Wee-sung played King Lee Joe, yeah. who was the king of Joseon. He delighted in luxury. And this guy, you know, he's the stereotypical royal douchebag here, yeah. but he played it perfectly. Yeah, he did. You know, and he was the main antagonist, uh, Yong Suk, in Train to Busan. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought that was really good. Yeah. And we will be covering that movie here on 13 Days. Uh, moving right along, we've got Ju, uh, Joe Woo Jin, who played Park Yul Ryong, one of the three protectors of Jamopo, who accompanies Chung during the virus. He was in a film called The Fortress, which took place in 1636, and it was about a king who hides in the mountains to avoid being part of the Shang Dynasty. So we're seeing similar themes here, you know. Um, and from the pictures of that, it was interesting. They they also had those pilgrim looking hats like they did in this movie. Yeah, and yeah, they, that's right. It was kind of a, a like a. They look very shady, you know. And I guess after a while, when you see four hundred people wearing them, they don't look weird. They don't look like pilgrims anymore. Right. But and they're carrying big swords, so you're not going to make fun of them. But um, what's his name? Uh, Lee Chung reminded me of Solomon Kane when he first showed up with that hat on. I don't know if you're familiar with the character. Vaguely, yeah. Yeah, he's a Puritan witch hunter who fights all kinds of supernatural stuff, and that, I I liked oh, yeah, that yeah, initial yeah. looking at him. But looking at these at these movies that these guys have been in, and how a lot of them take place in the 15th century, um, you know, they it seems to me that that era is still prevalent in the minds of Koreans. I mean, I don't know anyone who's from Korea. I don't know really anything about that culture. But looking at the fact that in the last decade, so many similar films have come out about that era, I'm wondering if that's something that's, for some reason, it's, it's you know, brought up in their collective consciousness again. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a country that's, you know, broken into 
unfortunately, that's that's weighing heavily on their public psyche, um, like the collective psyche. North Korea constantly has nukes pointed at them. They were uh, they were uh, an incredibly abused part of of Japan's empire for a very long time. They were routinely invaded by the Japanese and by the Chinese. Right. And they finally get to have movies of where they're the good guys and things actually went their way. I noticed a lot of the, uh, the out of the Korean films that I do own, it's I it's a couple of monster movies, two zombie films and a few they make a lot of movies about the Korean War, which which are I know this is well outside of uh, the the purview of what you're doing, but these are incredibly powerful uh, war films about what happened during the Korean War. Huh. Very well made, and then not stiff at all. These things are incredibly well paced. Wow. So that's cool. Um, yeah. And finally, I wanted to mention um, Lee Sun Bin, who played Diok Hee, the archer, and the second yeah. protector of Jamalpo, the one who Lee Chung has a crush on. Uh, she was. I thought she was very cute. First of all. And uh, yes, I, I, yeah, I really liked her character, too. She was the only archer, uh, as far as I could tell, in the film. You know, her and Chung had a bit of an arc where he was hitting on her first, and she was really only concerned with saving her people. But I like how that dynamic played out. I liked how, you know, he, he kept saying, well, come to China with me. Come to come to Xing with me. And, and she was like, well, we got to save these people. And he's like, all right, if I bring you an army, will you come with me? And she's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, yeah, right. And then, son of a gun, he, he actually forms the army. Right, right. Now, she was great, too. Cause it's, it's funny that we're looking at one of these movies that kind of remind me of a pirate film that they, they have. It's all swashbuckling swords and bows and arrows. And they also, have, they also have firearms. They have, you know, arrow specific firearms, muskets, for lack of a better right. term. And here she has a bow and arrow, which is kind of cool. That quick reloads yeah. and, st- and stuff like that. So yeah, yeah. Those guns were called. I keep wanting to call them arabesques. They're arc buses. Arc buses. And I had to. I had to look that up. But they're basically, you know, the first form of rifle. They're these long guns that um, that they had. Um, and one other uh, actor I, I forgot to mention actually was Kim Tai Wu, who played the Crown Prince Lee Young. Yeah. Who ends up killing himself. I I don't know why Wikipedia lists him as a special appearance. Um, Apparently, he must be a big star in South Korea. But I guess he was um, originally uh, the role was supposed to be played by Kim Joo Hyuk, and he passed away. So Kim Tai Woo came in. So I don't know if maybe special appearance, meaning like he took over the role in honor of Kim Joo Hyuk, or um, I I really have no more information beyond that. I apologize to the listeners. It's also Wikipedia. We're kind of at the mercy of somebody who's populating that page. So that's true. You're probably right. This is not a slam against you. I'm just a. It's just whatever person that is. Oh yeah, is giving that data. It's it's well, as a side, an aside note, you know, Wikipedia is just uh, it's encyclopedia by uh, general consensus. So. And don't get me wrong, I look at Wikipedia three times a week. It's uh, you just uh, it, it's my starting point, and then I'll I'll go forward from there. So right. So the film was financed and distributed by a company called Next Entertainment World. Yeah. Um, they were the primary backers of Train to Busan and another film called Pandora, which I have not seen, but it sounds interesting. Yeah. Um, its budget was uh, fifteen million. 
but it, unfortunately, it only grossed 11.8 million, so it's considered a bomb, and it got mixed reviews. And I read a lot of, you know, critical reviews on this movie, and I, I totally disagreed with most of them. <laughs> what a shame. Yeah. I mean, it's. Yeah. It's. Uh, I mean, I guess we have to wait for it to become popular over the next decade, and it may take another 10 years for it to actually turn a profit. So hopefully, this this podcast will start to turn things right. Yeah, yeah, I definitely uh, well, uh, hope people seek it out. It, it is available on some apps, but streaming apps, but you, you had to pay for it. I think it was a $5 download, and I happened to own the DVD, so, which ultimately right. would led me to you. Right. Um, so, yeah, I think it was just a $5 rent, so it's, that's not terrible. And it's, it's a very good film. I, you know, if you and I are recommending it, and you and I are a couple of media powerhouses, so please, yeah. please watch this film. <laughs> so let's get into the the film itself a little bit here. Um, you know, I felt like the opening sequence really set up the story well. You know, with the zombie arriving on the boat, you didn't need a whole heck of a lot more than that. You know, I remember watching it and going, "Oh yeah, they're in trouble." Just seeing the zombie, yet, you didn't even have it. You didn't need uh, or require any more setup than that. Yeah, it was very well paced. You know, you just see scenes of of a boat on fire and shooting back and forth and like okay you, you something this something is going very wrong here and you brought onto the boat you see you see what looks like a zombie somebody gets bit and, and all right so you can take it from there and uh it was very it was very brisk you know very yes. brisk pace yeah um like we mentioned they did a great job with the costumes i thought the attention to detail was amazing um the set was really cool and you they did use a little cgi here and there but it was really only to enhance things everything for the most part was was real and practical yeah yeah it, um i did watch a movie recently where the whole thing was done on a sound stage and they managed to use computers to generate an entire oil rig around the film and it they they did a very good job of of making that happen so their ability to use computer graphics is um is that good that we also may not notice so right um, i just right. wanted to put that one out there that it's you know the palace scenes were impressive uh there was burning scenes at the end and that boat on fire so yeah i would love to think that they actually built a gigantic wooden ship and set it on fire <laughs> so, that <would laughs> yeah that cool. probably wasn't but the the set itself of the palace yeah was was impressive. It was, cool. you know? it was very cool. I would love to walk the soundstage. Yeah. I really would. Yeah. Oh yeah. And one thing I noticed too that the director Sung Hoo Kim used a lot of wide angle shots yeah. in this movie, where you could really clearly see what was going on everywhere, especially in the fight sequences. And you know, we've talked about this on the East Meets the West, where a, a lot of modern, especially American films, the fight scenes are so have like you know thirty edits per second. And you can hardly see what's going on, but in this, you really, you didn't have that. You could clearly see what was going on in, in all the fight sequences. Yeah, the extras on the DVD showed a little bit of wire work where he, where the hero yep. would um, kill one zombie and then run up the shoulders of another onto the rail, onto like a second story railing of the palace. And it was a brilliant scene. It was really cool, you know, the way they shot it and they had to choreograph all the, all the, all the demons running towards the guy and he managed to get onto the back of one onto the shoulders of another and kind of yeah. you know, hopscotch to this one railing. It was neat. It, it was, and it, it, it took a wide angle lens to do that. It took a very, oh, it, yeah. it took a careful, 
establishing shot to make that happen. And also the scene was only, you know, two seconds long, but critical, critical. Oh, yeah. Especially at that point in the movie where it happens. But and it's funny, too, because I think I saw the same video that you're referencing um, on YouTube where it was, you know, only a couple minutes long, but they kind of showed you some of the wire work that they were doing. And, um, uh, you know, another thing, too, that I noticed about this movie is that the palette, the color palette was very dark. Um, I mean, part of it, of course, was that the zombies only came out at night, so a lot of the scenes were at night. But even in the daytime scenes, did you notice that, like, the colors were kind of muted? Um, you know, the, 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 the colors of the clothing for the court officials and the nobles were dark. Yeah. Um, yet, Lee Chung... He starts out in dark clothing when he first comes to Joseon, but then when he gets to the royal court and you're getting towards him having to deal with what's going on, he's wearing all white. Yeah, I mean, towards the you end know. of it, anyone wearing white is just covered in gore and dirt <laughs> and filth. No, it's just it, they're, they're just they're they're battle hardened at that point. And uh, there was one scene where before the zombies had like an official attack on the court, there was a dance number where the they had these gigantic looks like you know, a peacock plumage, but these things are like 20 feet tall. And it's very, very pretty and, and very elegant. And these these dancers were going dancing around for the the king who's about to become a zombie and the and some kind of uh, a visitor from a Chinese kingdom that they are subject to. And they were, you know, trying to entertain them. And I thought that kind of broke the color scheme that you were talking about it showed how elegant and lovely everything is and then the zombies attacked and everything is just covered in blood right and violence right. and just screaming and the, the gnawing and it was yeah. it was the very stark contrast going from something very elegant and very pretty to absolutely horrific violence so. right and one thing I, I read online too about um uh, lee chung's clothing in particular was that when he was wearing white they made it properly ornate yeah. Um, in terms of royal family, because I guess in Korea, people wear white to funerals instead of black. So they didn't want yeah. him to be con- his outfit to be confused with funeral clothes. Um, but right. even the other good guys, you know, as much as they were covered in gore, they started off with white. So pretty much the good guys in this all wore white, yeah. which I thought was kind of cool. And um, um, and yeah, I noticed that there was a lot of uh, earth tones during the day. Everything there was just so much running about. I guess it kicked up a lot of dirt. And most of the day shots were everything was just um, dusty, kind of filthy. They spent a lot of time indoors in particular rooms where they stored gunpowder, you know, so everything just right. had a very, very gritty tactile feel to it. So it was neat. Yeah. And I thought Hyun Bin, who played Lee Chung, I thought he's on his way to becoming a good action star. I think the other movie that we referenced that he's in, he was also an action star in that, too. I think it was a crime thriller. You know, it was just funny. I mean, not funny, but it was amazing watching him, especially, you know, single-handedly fending off the horde of zombies. And, you know, there were moments that reminded me of Henry V because his sword is so large that at one point he's running through the horde and he stops, and then he sees through a giant doorway another half of the horde, and he just stops and sighs, and he's like, oh, God, there's more of them. And, you know, it's got to be tiring to have to wield that weapon as long for as long and as much as he had to. Yeah, you know? it's, uh, I mean, the, the, the actual physics and physicality of carrying such a weapon and delivering so many lethal blows, that's just exhausting. You, you wouldn't be able to lift your arms up, but... 
you know, suspend your disbelief. It was just a, he was just a very neat character. And a lot of little kids came out of there wanting to be him, you know? Oh yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> and it's funny too, you know, uh, getting back to, you mentioned the wire work. Please. Um, I, I, I thought I was happy to see they didn't overdo the wire work. Exactly. It wasn't yes. outlandish or silly. It was just enough that you could believe what the characters were doing, you know? Right. And these guys were just great athletes. He also did a lot of spinning and ducking and, and getting out of the way of things which seemed a little more plausible than some of the more higher high choreographed work I've seen in some martial arts films that were, you know, just uh, ducking just at the right time. I'm like, how would you know how to do that? Right. So <laughs> this guy just made it look easy. He made it look fun. So yeah. Uh, yeah. Not much wire work. Right. It was just enough. Yep. Like they, they, like even some of the zombies had a little bit of wire work to them too. Yeah, he threw some out windows cool. and outdoors, and they, yeah. they were well. They crawled. They, they, they. It was creepy how they would like a like an infestation of bugs. They would crawl down the roof and then jump on people like face first, and just start yeah. you know, gnawing on them. And that that had, that may have had some wire work too. That was that was pretty scary. Oh yeah. To see how Yeah, the movie definitely had thrills and, and chills. Oh yeah. yeah. This this thing, this movie moved. This thing had pacing. So Yeah. You know what's funny is um when they were getting everything ready to, to as I said in the synopsis, which by the way, I've already had put a spoiler warning at the top of the show. Cool. So <laughs> don't worry about spoiling the film. But <laughs> I put they were getting everything inside the that one building to set it on fire. And the plan was to lead all the zombies or as many of them as they could into that building and set it on fire. Yeah. And they bring this giant barrel in. And I, I thought it was a giant... I, I was totally mistaken for most of the last third of the film. I thought it was a giant barrel of gunpowder. Yeah, so did I. And, and even though I'm, it was turned out to be the drum, I'm watching it and I saw it, you know, the characters banging on the drum to you know attract the zombies. I'm... For whatever reason, my brain separated the two and still was expecting that there was a giant barrel of gunpowder in there. So when um, mm -hmm. Lee Chung gets to the roof and it's on fire, I'm like, dude, dude, you got to get out. I'm yelling at the TV. I'm like, you got to go. It's going to blow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. And how... when it finally didn't, I was like, oh. Yeah, I, 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 I think you've watched too many cowboy movies or you know, yeah. seen too many, uh, too many nefarious people blowing up bridges with huge kegs of gunpowder. Right. <laughs> I mean, and, it, and that a keg of that size, I, that would leave a crater. That that would be, that would blow that palace to pieces, and kill yeah. <laughs> kill everybody within you know a sixteenth of a mile. I I have no, I'm not an explosives expert, but yeah, I thought it was a, I thought it, I've seen this movie now twice, and I was suckered into believing that 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 big drum was a uh, was a keg of gunpowder. No, it was just they they needed that drum to uh, to attract them, you know the right, sound. right. And they even referenced it. Um, that drum was you know a, a bit of a savior at the end of the movie, where they went out, went off to help that one besieged town from the beginning, beginning of the film. They heard the drum in the distance, and uh, that that meant that uh, the good guys were on the way. Right, so, right. That was that was a really cool scene, yeah. and uh, you know this whole film is is the way they structured it. I thought was really good because they they did spend a lot of time setting up the characters and the story in the first half, yeah. um, but the second half really pays off. So so even though the pacing is is fast through the whole thing, the first half is a little bit slower, 
um, and I think people will kind of go, oh, what's going on with this movie? But it's it the payoff is worth it. It's you need to establish the story, the characters, the politics. Some elements I found a little confusing. I had to go and you know read the synopsis afterwards. But once you get to the second half of the movie, it it doesn't matter. Everything works and it it just flies. Yeah, and they managed to introduce the what you want to see zombies, or and some people want to see martial arts or what have you. But they managed to to sprinkle enough of the zombies in there to keep you going until it's a full blown horror movie. So yeah, uh, it's it, it's very well done. And what's really cool too that I liked was the the way the characters work together to the point where the you know the the story for purposes of the story they start to whittle away at the good guys and yeah. you get to the point where you're like no no don't let him die no don't let her die oh man you know it's like you're really pulling for the characters hoping that you know as many of them as possible can can get through it it looked like um when his when the when the lead character's sidekick finally got killed you could that was that was particularly heartbreaking because Yes. To the end, he was just telling his master and his and his friends to just just go, just go. And the villain has him, you know, pinned to the ground, and he just stabs him in the back. And and it was it, it was it was it was really that was hard to see. And um, you know, the movie wanted to give you a sense of loss, obviously. Right. So right. And and his last words were basically, you know, make sure you hang on to the talisman. Right. Right. Yeah. Made this little <laughs> talisman form, thinking that it was that this, this little um, drawing on a piece of paper was going to protect him from evil. He was so militant about giving the lead character this, this, this talisman and told him, you know, you have to hold on to it. And it was, that was his last words. And it, was, it was just very touching. So, Yeah. Especially because he was the comic relief for the film, I thought um, it really kind of made you like him a little bit more. Yeah. And so when he does perish, it, it, like you said, it really is heartbreaking. Yeah, yeah, it was. Now I watched um, a subtitled version. Did you? Does your DVD have a dub as well, or was it just subtitles? I watch my movies with subtitles when I can. Uh, I like to hear the. Although I don't understand the look of Korean, I like to hear the passion in their voice or the. It's part of the acting for me. So yes, okay. I I watch it with I watch the, uh, the subtitled version. Okay, because I couldn't get my hands on an English dub. Usually I'll watch both, or I'll have the English dub on with the subtitles, or, or, and then I'll, or I'll probably watch it first without the English, uh, with just with the subtitles, and then I, I didn't actually get a chance to um, watch it a second time this, this go-round. But um, I thought that the, with the subtitles, they were done very well. Yeah. They used a lot of colloquialisms, like um, even when Lee Chung's uh, uh, swearing, Yeah. you know, and he's not supposed to because he's a prince. Right. <laughs> and he's like, this is bullshit yeah. and all that. And, th- you know, I thought they did a good job with with the dialogue. Yeah. And making it relatable to a Western audience. Exactly. You know? Exactly. I, I mean, I think the dubbing was only in, um, you know, French and Spanish and in uh, oh, okay. and, and, uh, American English. So. Oh, OK. Yeah. Yeah, I want to. I do want to check out the um. If there's an the, I'm sorry, I, you just said there is. I do want to check out the English dub at some point. But um, one other thing I wanted to mention about this movie is a slight inconsistency that pretty much almost every zombie movie has, and it's not really a criticism against the film at all. But it's basically it has to do with how long it takes for a bitten person for the infection to to manifest, 
and they kind of do try to explain it in this movie a little bit where you know basically how close to a major vessel was one bitten yeah they did but it's really it happens when it's most convenient for the plot like the drummer not the drummer but the guy who had to bang the drum he should have turned well before because i think he got bit in the throat or the shoulder right he was bitten kind of between the uh between the throat and the shoulder yeah and he was a very likable character you know, I think they want to make his loss particularly stinging. So, right. Um, and you wanted to see him struggle at that last minute and, and, you know, light the fire before he turned completely. Right. And the villain came along and fouled that whole plan and took the, took the movie in a whole other direction. So, right, right. <laughs> no, that, that just seems to be a, you know, somewhat of a trope that they had their own take on and, you know, they, and they knew they wanted to draw his his turning into a zombie out for a particular reason. So, right, right, and it worked. Yeah, it, did. it totally worked yeah. for the story. So, Mark, um, yeah. anything else that you wanted to talk about in this movie? No, I think I'm okay. I'm. Uh, is this the first time you had seen it? Yes, I'd never heard of it. Wow, until you mentioned it. that's awesome! I'm so flattered. Yeah. Well, so I was pleasantly surprised. Yeah, you and I were just chatting on Facebook and talking about zombie films, and um, I had when I suggested Rampant, you were like, "Yeah, let's let's do it." And like I, unless you instantly looked it up and found out that it was a Korean zombie film, um, I didn't know that. I thought you had seen this. I, I, no, I thought you had seen this. So I'm, I'm. I think you had said that it was a Korean zombie okay. film, and that's all I knew about it. That's why I said I like walking into movies where I have no idea yeah. about it at all. No, yeah. I'm just, I'm flattered. Sometimes I have incredibly, incredibly weird tastes in movies, and I'm not saying um, my tastes are good or bad. I just, I like what I like because I like it, and I do a presentation about bad movies. So I can see the value in thing, you know, Plan Nine from Outer Space is, you know, the yeah. most successful bad movie ever made, and it's immensely entertaining. Yep. So I can look at things and see some some worth. There are a lot of bad movies out there, but I'll say, okay, yeah, but the special effects in this particular moment or that particular moment were were successful. Oh yeah, you know, it's not uh, as black and white. So for me to actually see that I can influence somebody that actually has a bit of taste, you. <laughs> um, I, movie. I know people who would disagree with that, but <laughs> it's, it's, we're in good company. Um, it's just, it's strange. <laughs> I, I do. I am in a bit of an aficionado in, in just, you know, weird and eccentric films that most people like leave them. What are you watching? So, right. That's, right. <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm, I'm not all that bad. So thank you. Thank you. You, you validated me. Oh, well, you're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> so, uh, Mark, your final thoughts on Rampant? Um, I would recommend seeing it. Uh, I enjoyed it quite a bit. The The characters are very likable. The movie uh, has a brisk pace. I think it has a lot in there for everybody. Uh, you know, if you're into sword fights, it has that. If you're into zombies, you're, it has that. If you're into quasi-period pieces, it has that. You know? So, um, watch Rampant. Your Uncle Mark tells you. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, like I mentioned, I read a lot of criticism about the movie, um, especially when they compared it to Train to Busan. Yeah. But I don't think you can compare the two movies. No. They're two completely it, different films. 
Um, I but I thoroughly enjoyed this film. Yeah, you can what, see that they were the Koreans were into into zombie films. And they wanted to try something new. Um, also, if anyone does watch this film because I told them to, and doesn't like it, I, you know, please uh, let me know, and I apologize. Uh, have your own opinion. <laughs> I recommend watching it and making your own opinion, <laughs> and keep it to yourself. <laughs> no, I'm willing to be wrong. I, I'm willing to, you know, I just I, I think people will like it. I, I have a yeah, sneaky yeah. suspicion that people will like this film. You're listening. I mean, I, w I was on the edge of my seat through the whole film. Yeah. I love the characters. Um, like I said, I did find it a little bit confusing in the first half, but I think that's probably because my knowledge of Korean history is not that good. So it took me, I had to look up some of the names of the towns and stuff. Um, but once you finally get the gist of who's who and what's going on, it was a really fun ride. And it was scary. Yeah. You know, the zombies were truly horrifying. Yeah. Um, I usually, like I said before too, I usually try to watch a film twice when I prepare for a show and I only have time to watch it once, but I actually can't wait to watch it again. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let me know if you, uh, if you want to discuss any points, um, I'm, I'm totally available. Awesome. And, uh, awesome. Well, go ahead. Please. No, uh, just no, thank you for having me on. It was a pleasure. Yeah, I was going to say thanks for joining me today, Mark. Well, welcome to the show. We'd love to much. have you back in the future to talk about more monster movies, bad movies, whatever you want. Yeah, I would love to. I'm I'm totally available. I'm I'm a recent convert to your podcast. I think I'm up to episode five. And awesome. um, you know, when you when you were just a little guy, when you were youngin. Yeah. <laughs> and my son was my co-host, and he he was a youngin too. He was only sixteen on those first few yeah. episodes. So, so uh, can you once again tell tell the audience um, where to find your website online? NYCGMAM.com. It's the New York City Giant Monster Attack Map. And um, you can probably find my contact information through that. And I would love to know what you think of it. Anything that's wrong with it, any little mistakes that I've made, any little misspellings. Um, I, I, I appreciate people telling me. Uh, let me know. I'd uh, I put a lot of work into it. I'd love to uh, hear what people have to say. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Mark. We'll talk to you soon. My pleasure. Thank you. Okay, folks. Thanks for joining us today for our special 2021 13 Days of Hallowtober series where we focus on modern zombie films. You can send your feedback to thenisnow42 at gmail.com. You can also join in the conversation at our Facebook Then Is Now podcast group. Then Is Now podcast is a proud member of the Dorkening Podcast Network, so please be sure to check out the other great shows there at thedorkening.com. You can also visit our website at havenpodcasts.com, where you'll find our sister show, The East Meets the West, in which we discuss Shaw Brothers films and spaghetti western movies. And Then Is Now is on YouTube, so please visit youtube.com slash user slash UncleDeath1 to get the latest videos as well as other fun videos. Please subscribe to our YouTube page and also share the video versions of our podcast with your friends and get them to subscribe as well. Don't forget to go wherever you download your podcast from and leave us a great review so more listeners can find us. You can find us on all the podcasting apps, especially the big three, iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. Class dismissed. This now podcast is intended for entertainment, educational, and informational purposes only. Sounds, music, and clips played during this podcast are the property of their copyright holders. All original content is copyright Jupiter Media.
For more shows like the one you just heard, check out the Dorkening Podcast Network at thedorkening.com.